Hey, welcome to Redemption Parker. If this is your first time, my name is Mark. It is a joy and privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning in John chapter 13. Uh, we're working our way through the Gospel of John through this series. And one of the things we're saying is, uh, one, that the, the Word of God is a mirror for us in that when we look into the Word, uh, we can kind of assess ourselves better. And that's, that's paradoxical because to be a, a follower of Christ, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ is to imply that we look like Christ, that we, we, we love the things Jesus loves, we pursue the things Jesus pursues, and our life is to reflect Jesus to the world. But because it's also a mirror, uh, we realize that we fall short, right? Like when she was reading that passage, none of you should have said, uh, and looked at Jesus and said, well, that's just like me. Like if you're reading it like that, you either don't understand Jesus or you don't understand yourself. We all fall short. That's not just like us. And yet that is, even in this passage, what we're called to be. That's what we're called uh, to shoot for. And so there's this paradox. And so it's a mirror. But, but we said also that, that, especially in John's gospel, it is uh, uh, week after week a, a different masterpiece that, that John is putting before us to let us look and see and savor Jesus. And in so doing, be transformed by him and, and uh, be, be made a little bit more like him in that process. And once again, this is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece uh, for our joy. It's a masterpiece for our example. Uh, and just once again, we get to celebrate the gospel. The, the third thing is the word is a lamp unto our path. Uh, it, it shows us how, uh, and Lord willing, each of us would take a step in the right direction because of the word shining in us today. Of the three, the one we should spend the, the least time on is the mirror. Uh, because honestly, uh, we should do a self-assessment and then we should look at Jesus. We should pursue Jesus and, and not think less of ourselves, but think of ourselves less. That's part of what it means to grow in Christ-likeness. And so as we do this, we're going to see that Jesus' love does a few things for us. Uh, Jesus' love goes low to meet us. Jesus' love cleanses us and then we'll see that Jesus' love empowers us to love like he loves. And so as, as we go into that in this, this passage that we just read, we, we know some of these themes. We've said before, sometimes the problem isn't with our head, it's with our heart or vice versa. Like, I don't think anyone here would disagree that humility is a good thing. Like, serving one another is a good thing. It is a thing that Christ did for us, and therefore, we should all do. So, so today, it's not a problem of our head. Like, every one of you know that you should be a servant. If you're a follower of Christ, your nature, your character should be uh, defined by servanthood. I know it. But that's why I have a confession to make. <laughs> so, so one of the things I know is if we're planting a church in uh, suburban Colorado, and, and I desperately want to see people come and see and savor Jesus, to be rescued and redeemed by him, to have families transformed by him, I know that one of the most strategic ministries that we have in the church is uh, serving our littles, littlest ones, serving our, our kids, serving in the kids' room, the youngest image bearers. I know that's crucial. And so I know that Katie Morgan and her team 
team and all of you that serve and put on the strategic servant thing, I, I, I know that that is uh, probably the most important ministry if we're going to uh, transform this city in this church. So I know that, and you know that. But um, my confession comes when, when one day my wife said, hey, we're going to serve in the kids' room. I'm like, that's good. That, that's right, and that's good. And then uh, a few weeks later, she said, hey, this Sunday, Matthew's preaching. We're, we're going we're gonna to serve in the kids' room together. And I wasn't like, yes, awesome. I mean, I get to go be with the, the youngest image bearers. I get to be with the people that Jesus lifted up as a model of faith. I, I don't have to spend time with the, 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 the older people with their baggage and their pretense. Awesome. <laughs> I'm psyched. No, that, that unfortunately was not my first response. I, I think I smiled, but in my heart I was thinking, well, that's not... That's not what I'm, that's not, that's not how I serve the church. I, I serve the church from, on a stage. Like I study the Bible and, and I get, I, I preach the word like that. I, I lead through vision. That's how I serve. So can we find someone else? <laughs> and then just realizing, no, I, I'm not better than that. Jesus isn't better than that. That's the whole point of this passage. You're not better than serving our kids, none of us in this room. And so if we are to uh, follow and, and be like Jesus, then, then, then our hearts have to, our, our hearts, you're thinking, man, how wicked is your heart? You're right. My heart is wicked. And you sure you want to be here for the next 30 minutes? And yet, by his grace, my prayer is that God would do a work and, and, and do a, a shift and a transformation in our hearts through his word and by his spirit today. See, what I love even about this passage and, and about the Bible is its honesty. Like, everyone's messed up, right? Like, even the heroes, even the guys that are writing the book under the power of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like, they're messed up. Right? Like no one gets free. It's like that time I was watching uh, The Simpsons and, uh, and Homer's TV's broken. And so uh, for some reason, the only thing in his house is a Bible. And he, he begins to read the Bible and his family comes home and he's read the Bible. And they're like, Homer, what are you doing? And he's like, this book is so preachy. Everybody's a sinner except for this guy. And uh, some of you will get that later. But um, it's just true. And so as we shift now in John's gospel to the very last moments of his life, we enter into the longest teaching that he has for his disciples. And he wants to prepare them to go out into the world. And it's John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. He's going to unpack some of the most amazing teachings in his life. And it's called the Upper Room Discourse. And in Luke chapter 22, we get another insight as to the dynamics of what was going on in that room at that moment as he gathered his disciples. In Luke chapter 22, the disciples are said to be having an argument. They're arguing about something they argue about quite frequently, actually. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they've, they've all put forth their, their argument and they're, they're, they're just kind of going through the three years into Jesus' ministry, his last night, and they're still arguing. And Jesus is like, guys, you don't 
get it. I've taught about the kingdom for three years. It's an upside down kingdom. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Why aren't you getting this? And so then in John's gospel, we get some more insight. How once again he's going to show him, show them with not just his words, but his actions, what love looks like. Love goes low. If we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to go low. Love uh, cleanses us and love empowers us to be like him. And so with that, let me begin to walk us through John chapter 13. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, I love this line, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. This is a foreshadow of the next several chapters of John's gospel, but, but this is true. This is true of all who are in Christ. And so you can put your name in it. I'll just put my name. Having loved Mark Oshman, his own, who was in the world, he loved Mark to the end. Like Jesus will go to whatever degree it is to, to love us to the very end. He loves us to the end. And then it says in verse 2, during supper... And in verse 4, it starts, he rose from supper. Something's immediately wrong here. Well, what's wrong? Well, in that culture, if you're going over to someone's house, if you're going into a place uh, and it's a, a special dinner as this would have been, you go in, you take off your coat, you wash your hands, uh, you, you, you take off your sandals at the door and uh, either the host or uh, the host servant or the host slave would take the very demeaning task of, of coming to the door and, and washing the guest's feet. I mean, these feet were nasty. They're sandals walking on the Roman roads with, with dung and, and blood and cuts and dirt and mud and, and just nasty. And so uh, they would honor you by washing your feet. But the disciples and Jesus are not being hosted by anyone. They're renting an upper room. And so uh, it, it gets foregone. Why is it foregone? Well, again, Luke tells us. That they don't, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about why they're the greatest. While they're better than the other ones. And I don't know how the argument went, but anyone who knows parents maybe knows how the argument went. Well, it's not my job. It's not, it's not my turn. It's not my responsibility. And, and they all kind of marshal forth their argument. And they're like, uh, Matthew, you, you were a tax collector. Like, you're down here. You should have done that. And the other people, well, it wasn't my job to get the servant. See, see, it was such a bad, low, demeaning job that, that many Jewish rabbis deemed it unclean. Like, you couldn't even be Jewish and do this. You needed to find a Gentile dog. You needed to find a slave to do that kind of work. And so they all think they're above it. They're arguing. Peter's like, I'm a leader. I'm not the administrative assistant. Judas is like, hey, I handle the finances. Uh, and everyone's got their reason why. And apparently, uh, they didn't see each other as worthy enough to washing each other's feet. And even worse, they didn't see Jesus as worthy enough to wash his feet. They missed the boat. And so... They go, they, they lay down on their sides as they're, they're eating their meal. Their feet are, are, are dirty and disgusting. It's probably smelling up the room. Uh, it's this obvious odor, and yet no one's willing to get low. No one's willing to get low. And then John tells us, 
Just kind of as a side note to remember in all this, Jesus loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, he reminds us, Judas is here. Judas, Judas is, is, is going to have his feet washed by Jesus. I mean, this had to be the most painful part of Jesus' ministry. Judas, whom Jesus loves to the end, is going to betray him. Jesus knows it. Judas will sell Jesus out for what amounts to a few hundred bucks. What would you sell Jesus out for? Some money? A, a sexual experience? A relationship? A career? What would you sell? What would you betray Jesus for? Judas had every opportunity to see and savor Jesus. He heard about the kingdom of God from Jesus. He saw the power and miracles of God through Jesus. He, he walked with Jesus. He was even sent out with the other disciples to, and empowered by Jesus to do amazing miracles and work and ministry. Judas had everything, every opportunity to come to Jesus. But in the end, he betrays him. A few days later, his guilt overwhelms him. He does not repent. He, he goes and, and commits suicide and he goes to hell. He doesn't go to a better place. We, we like to say that when someone dies, they went to a better place, but Jesus says the vast majority will not. And, and I believe that hard words or soft words produce hard people and hard words produce soft people, so I'm going to tell you a hard word. Heaven is a, is a person more than it is a place. If you do not love the person of Jesus, you do not have any place in the place of heaven. And Judas had no love for Jesus. He had every opportunity to receive Jesus. And that's what terrifies me as a pastor, that, of people that would come to church week after week and still not see and savor Jesus. It's the only way. It's our only hope. But Jesus wants to show love once again. And so what does he do? He gets up. Jesus, verse uh, 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it to, around his waist. This whole passage kind of echoes something that Paul tells the, the Philippian church with the same point, like we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality God with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. And so Jesus, who was from eternity past, uh, hearing his praises sung by the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and he, was in, he dwelt in unapproachable light, steps out of the light, and steps down into our world. He humbles himself. Paul says he became a man. But even in our world, uh, people become uh, uh, celebrities and, and, and uh, they, they get money and they get pre prestige and power and uh, acclaim and all that. And so he's born to a penniless mother and father into scandal with no acclaim, no fame. Jesus takes on our He humbles himself. But, but, but Paul goes on. Not, not only that, because even, even poor people in our world kinda, can kind of get by. He says, he goes down the ladder one more rung. He says, and he became obedient. He, he, he humbled himself, taking on the form of a slave. 
And this is what Jesus is now doing. When he gets up and he takes off his coat and he wraps a towel around his waist, just picture the scene for a moment. Picture the argument going on. Picture all the boasting and the pride and, and all that's in their hearts and in our hearts. And Jesus gets up and they're like, what's he doing? And all of a sudden he takes off the coat and he puts a towel around his waist. And they're like, Jesus, you, you look like a slave. What are you doing? And Jesus gets down on his knees. And he begins to take their feet, all 12 of them. I imagine you could hear a pin drop except for the swishing of the water in that room as he takes one nasty foot and washes it up and his hands get disgusting and dirty and he pours more water and he moves to the next person. He moves to the next person. He washes Judas's feet. He goes to the next person. He goes to Andrew. He goes to Matthew. He goes to the other Judas that we don't hear about so much. He goes to uh, each one of them, one by one, and, and their jaws are dropped. And there is that moment I just imagined, we messed up. Why is he doing this to us? We should be doing this to him. And he continues to wash, and he continues to wash. It would have taken some time. It would have taken quite a while to wash 12 guys' feet. But his love goes low. <laughs> that, that's, that's what he did when he left heaven in glory. He, he got low and then he became the, the, the form of a, a slave. But, but this is all to foreshadow him going even lower. Paul will say he became obedient, obedient even to death, even death on a cross. When you hit death on a cross, he hit rock bottom. And Jesus is doing this for them. Why is he doing this for them? Verse 3 tells us, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So, so that's why he's doing this. Why? Because his disciples and you and I are, are going to become the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world. What are those going to look like? And he says, I want them to look like servants' hands. I want them to look, I want their knees to be bowed low. This is what Jesus will look, this is how the mission of God will go forward. It's an upside down kingdom. So his love goes low. His love washes as well. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's incredulous. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And once again, I, I love Peter. He always gets it right like the fifth time. Like he's incredibly consistent. Eventually, he'll come around. He, he acts for, he talks first, and then he thinks. I, I resonate with that. He just goes for it, uh, and uh, he's kind of just showing covertly his pride. And, and because he's covert, God can work with that. Judas is, uh, I'm sorry, he's overt. Get, switch those around. Um, <laughs> Peter's overt. Judas is covert, just kind of prideful, silent, plotting. And, and Peter shows his pride again. He was too prideful to wash the other disciples' feet. He was too prideful to wash Jesus' feet. And now he's too prideful to receive ministry from Jesus. 
So, so, so pride shows up in different ways. You can be too prideful to receive from Jesus, and you can be too prideful to serve Jesus. Jesus said in, in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and become a ransom for many. And so Jesus says, no, you, you, need to, you need to humble yourself even now. You need to receive this washing. And so that's what Jesus does. He begins to wash his feet. Um, where was I at? Oh, he says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. He's like, look, if, if, if I'm not here, you, you, you go to hell, Peter. So Peter's like, okay, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And he just kind of goes, he's like, the whole thing. And, and, and Jesus says, you're not getting it. Let me explain a little bit. You're not quite understanding. Um, he says, Jesus said to him, verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. So what is he saying? He, he's, he, he's actually touching on a, a doctrinal, uh, a point of doctrine that we don't think of often. Some of you are, are Christians, and you know you've been forgiven by the Lord. We sing songs about it. The theological 50-cent word for that is propitiation, that on the cross, Jesus took all your sins. He, he paid the penalty for your sins that you, that you deserved, and he, he paid that, and he took away the, the guilt and, and the, pay, the penalty for sin. That's propitiation. Most of you that are followers of Christ know that. What, what you might not know, and, and being a pastor many, many years, I see this, and even in my own heart, is that Jesus not only pays for your sins, he does something that, again, theologians called expiation. He cleanses you of your sin. So, so all that you went through, all that you did in and of yourself, all, all, all the wicked things you thought you in, in word and deed and all those things that kind of defile you and mark you and you carry around, when you come to Christ, he washes you of that. But not only that, in this fallen world, all of us sin and all of us have been sinned against. And so there are people in your life, people in your past that have wounded you greatly and have defiled you, have, have made you dirty. There are people that are, have been abused. There are people that have been sexually abused. And even though they're Christians, they carry around with them the weight of the sin and the shame and the dirtiness. And they don't know that Jesus has come to wash you of that. He, he cleanses us of that. And so what Jesus is saying is, when you trust in me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, uh, if anyone in his, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. You are clean, Peter, because by faith I've made you clean. You stand righteous before the throne. But on this side of eternity, we still sin. We still fall short. And while we don't need a soul-level cleansing for our relationship, for our communion with God and with one another, we need a washing. And so this same author, John, will say in 1 John, uh, uh, I'm missing it, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. So you need to know you're forgiven and you are clean in God's sight. The, you don't have to carry that baggage around any longer. 
He expiates our sin. So God's, low goes, God's love goes low. God's love washes us and that empowers us. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put, out his outer, put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, these titles of respect and honor, and you are right for so I am. Verse 14, if then I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You, all, you, also, ought, you, you ought to uh, assume a position of humility with one another. Serve one another. Go low for one another. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so the question for us that each one of us need to answer, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, is whose feet do you wash? Who do you get low for? And the call of Christ is to be like Christ. And so who do you, who do you go low for? So, so husbands, go low for your wives. Fathers, go low for your children. Children, go low for your parents. Go low for your siblings. Bosses, go low for your employees. Politicians should go low for their constituents. This is what it means to be like Christ, to, to go low. And, and as you uh, identify where you can go low, some objections in your heart will rise up. Well, well if, I, if I go low, I, I won't be respected. <laughs> you won't be respected? Well, you know what? No one was more disrespected in the history of humanity than Jesus on the cross. You can be disrespected. Well, well, if I go low, then, then, then they, 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 you know, they might take advantage of me. Yeah? Jesus was taken advantage of, and he still says, go low. But, but if I go low, uh, and whatever you, 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 you put there, uh, even so, Jesus has gone lower. Even so, Jesus has said, you can do this. You can take, be taken advantage of. You can be disrespected. If I go low and, and serve, they're going to ask me to do it again. Jesus hasn't stopped washing your feet. He hasn't stopped going low for us. And so we go low. Uh, but, but there's a promise built into this as well. Jesus isn't, isn't after uh, making you miserable. Jesus is saying when you understand the kingdom and the upside-down nature of it, he's not trying to rob you of joy. He's trying to give you joy. And so verse 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So this is for you. This is for your blessing. The most happy people you know are the most humble servants. Again, not that they think less of themselves, they just think of themselves less. And the most miserable people you know are the people that are so self-consumed with their issues and their problems and why isn't people serving me? They're miserable. And Jesus says, you're blessed if you get this. If you understand the way to happiness is servanthood, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed with uh, just obedience to Christ. You'll be blessed with sanctification. You'll be blessed with holiness. You'll be blessed with all the blessings of God. And so his love empowers us. 
Not only that, his love is missional. A verse we haven't read yet. If you drop down to, uh, towards the end of the chapter, verse 34, it says an amazing thing. Jesus is talking. He says, a new commandment I give you, give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The thing that should mark us as disciples of Jesus is our supernatural, spirit-empowered love. So, so Francis Chan, in his new book, Letters to the Church, asks the question, what church in America do you know that is known for its love for one another? So uh, there's churches that are known for its great music and maybe it's preaching or it's great programs. He's like, but honestly, what church do you know that is just marked by its love for one another? Because that's what we're called to. This is what we see in the book of Acts. They, they, they come together and loving the Lord Jesus, they're loving one another. And so the gospel has vertical and horizontal implications. So, so this, is, this is where a lot of, in our world, people get uh, ra- wound up. Like, hey, we don't, we don't want to preach a social gospel. We, we need to preach the gospel. But the gospel says this, because we're loved by God and recos- reconciled by God, then that love goes horizontal, or else you haven't really understood the vertical. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. As they love one another and as they love the city, God adds to their number day by day those that are being saved. This is what we see in the first four centuries. Any sociologist will tell you, why did the church spread? Well, because they, they loved one another. When, when Rome was an oppressive, brutal place and they would throw babies in the trash heap, the Christians would go to the trash heap and adopt those kids. And when plagues came into the city and, and it just ravished the city, as the pagans fled, the Christians went in and they died to save and to care for people. And in their dying, they also got some immunities to some of the plagues and they grew and they multiplied. And as they loved one another for four centuries, it became overwhelming. This hated group became the dominant group. It wasn't Constantine that made Christianity. It was the love. It was serving one another. The last emperor, Julian the Apostate, who desperately wanted to get a revival of paganism in the land, uh, he, we have a letter from him that is called the Epistle to the Pagan High Priests. And he's lamenting the Christians and their love. Listen to this letter. He hates Christians. He says, this, these impious Galileans, the Christians, not only feed their own, but ours also, welcoming them with agape, that's love. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. And by a display of false compassion have established and given effect to their pernicious errors. Such practice is common among them and causes contempt for our gods. (laughs) Do you hear his frustration? Do you hear his hatred? They're so loving. They're taking over the empire. (laughs) What would it be like if that is what people saw when they heard, oh, we, we hate Redemption Parker. They're so loving. <laughs> They're just serving everybody. 
They're washing the feet of, of our city. And, and they're, they're monotheism and their love for Jesus. We hate that, but they're just, just people keep going there because they love one another. It's crazy. Francis Chan said this about this quote, just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. He said, our king who allowed himself to be tortured and killed for us tells us to love one another in the same way. Have you ever even considered loving a fellow Christian as sacrificially and selflessly as Christ loved you? When was the last time you looked at a Christian brother or sister selflessly wanting to bring him or her life no matter what the cost? So this is a hard word. We need help. But wouldn't it be amazing if we embraced Jesus' example? Wouldn't it be amazing if, if instead of trying to pester some of you to serve in the kids' room, there was a waiting list. You're like, yeah, you can get in next year. You, 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 we'll allow you to serve there. But, but in the meantime, everyone else is ahead of you because they want to serve. Wouldn't it be amazing if you just came to this, the, to your gospel community each week and just said, man, just give me eyes, Jesus, to wash the feet of the people in my gospel community. That would be an attractive kind of love. That would transform the world. Now, I, I don't pretend to think that we're going to switch, a, a, a flip, flip a switch right now, but by God's grace, we can step in that direction. So let's pray and then come to this table. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Jesus, thank you for your humility. Lord, you tell us to look at you, look at what you've done. And in a few moments, we'll come to the table that represents your broken body and your shed blood. And because of these things, we can get low. We can serve one another. We can love one another. We can wash the feet of our city. And we can make much of Jesus. But Holy Spirit, we can't do any of that without your help. Our hearts are still wicked. We, we, we need you to do a work in and through us. And so I pray that as we go out, even as we sing these songs, you would be doing that work to magnify the name of Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.